the nonprofit MBA purpose is to provide new business insights and fresh creative ideas for executive directors and their teams that will help them improve their organization. Here is your host, Stephen Holastic. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Holastic, and I will be your host for today's Nonprofit MBA podcast. I am co-founder of Financing Solutions, and Financing Solutions is the leading provider in the United States uh, of lines of credit for small nonprofits. If you are interested in learning more about getting a line of credit for your nonprofit, which I would highly recommend, our, our clients love the idea that they have a cash backup plan with their line of credit. It was always so difficult for nonprofits to get one. Uh, just please visit our website at nonprofitmbapodcast.com and you'll even uh, can fill out a simple minute uh, application to get a quote as far as what uh, line of credit would uh, cost and, and, and if you would be approved. Today, I am uh, very excited to be, to be speaking with Rathish Balakrishnan from Sattva Media and Consulting. Uh, so today's uh, podcast is uh, building a nonprofit organization for the future. And, uh, you know, Rathish puts a lot of thought into this. He uh, works with about, uh, he works in 19 different countries. Uh, he's worked over the last 10 years with nonprofits with uh, that are both global and local, and he's often doing assessments of emerging trends in philanthropy. Uh, Satva, welcome to today's nonprofit MBA podcast. Thank you, thank you, Stephen. Glad to be here. Yeah, Rathish, I meant. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, so, Rathish, uh, tell us a little bit more about your background, a little bit about the type of organizations that you've worked for, worked with. And you know a little bit more about Sattva's work as well. Yeah, let me start by talking a little bit about Sattva, Stephen, and then speak a little bit more about our work with nonprofit organizations, and maybe end with uh, my own background. Uh, so, Sattva is a consulting organization with an exclusive focus on social impact. You know, our fundamental vision is to make impact everyone's business and end poverty in our lifetime. We do that by doing four things today. Uh, one part of our work focuses on advising and enabling uh, funders who are investing in social impact space in maximizing the return that they can create for every dollar that they invest in impact today. We do this by advising them on where to invest in impact. In cases uh, where we actually design programs that donors can implement and actually orchestrate the actual implementation for them on the ground, over a period of three to five years. We also conduct high quality evaluations, program evaluations and impact evaluations to help them understand how they can both prove the impact that they've created and improve the impact that they have actually had on the ground. We do this with most of the large global foundations that are working in the global south. Uh, we also are engaged with a growing domestic philanthropy landscape that is emerging in India today as well. The second part of our work is actually in enabling nonprofit organizations in helping them scale the impact that they can have on the ground. A lot of times we recognize that what nonprofits need is not another presentation that tells them how to do things better. It's a combination of a clear thinking strategy 
combined with access to support that helps them implement that strategy effectively on the ground as well. And what we have learned since 2009 um, is that an iterative approach to strategy and execution is extremely valuable in helping nonprofits shift their orbits and scale their impact. And this is proven valuable for us across countries and across continents. The third part of our work is in actually building body of evidence and research. So what we recognized very early in our journey with both donors and nonprofits is consulting is very valuable, but research helps us frame the actual problems that need to be solved. So we conduct research on various issues. We bring voices of primary stakeholders. We conduct rigorous data collection exercises to actually frame the problem that needs to be solved for the larger ecosystem. And today we've won multiple international awards on the quality of our research and our global our research cuts across the entire global north and including countries like Russia. Lastly, uh, and something I want to talk a lot more about as we go forward, we recognize that impact is actually collaborative today. The idea that a one organization is going to create large-scale impact is actually becoming a thing of the past. And more and more, we are seeing donors, nonprofit organizations, governments come together to solve problems. And we are working on multiple collaborative initiatives that uh, unlock millions of dollars in impact uh, and focus on systemic problems that individual organizations cannot solve. We are an organization that was founded in 2009, so that makes us 13 years old. Uh, we have over 500 employees based out of five different countries, and our work itself spans about 19 countries today. Our work with nonprofit organizations, and I'll briefly say this uh, and pause for any questions from your side, focuses on three broad areas. The first question is often, what should an organization do over a five-year period? So we help organizations in both drafting their organizational strategy and work with them as an internal strategic advisor to implement that strategy over a period of time. The second part of our work is in building global scalable programs uh, that are uh, designed for both scalability and for impact. And as we do with organizations, we often embed ourselves within a nonprofit organizations and help those organizations take that idea to actual implementation to a point of uh, scalability uh, over a period of two to three years. And the third area of focus for us is in building functional capabilities in organizations, be it monitoring and evaluation, communications, fundraising, uh, technology and data, and other focus areas that fundamentally become the engines that enable the growth of these organizations as well. Yeah. Uh, about me, I am an engineer by education. I've been in the social sector since 2004 in various forms. Um, I have started my professional career in France in INSEAD Business School. I moved back to India, worked for leading international technology companies across Europe and India. Started Sattva in 2009 and at Sattva played a wide range of roles. A large part of my work today focuses on working with inspiring nonprofit leaders and helping them scale the impact that they can have on the ground. Five hundred employees is an awfully large organization. Um, when you're working on a project for one of your clients, I mean, what's how many people are actually working on that project? Yeah, so it really depends on the kind of engagement we have with organizations. You know, typically for a typical organizational strategy uh, project, we deploy a team of three to four people. Uh, it's usually a partner, uh, you know, who's from the leadership offering, uh, you know, uh, advice and uh, perspective. 
but we have a two full-time employee team, which is a consultant and an associate and an engagement manager that is uh, anchoring the implementation. So it's a fairly lean team, as you can see. So it's about uh, two and a half members from Sattva doing a strategy project. When it comes to what I called collaborative orchestration, which is helping organizations scale their impact by embedding ourselves into the organization, those teams can go up to six to eight people. I think the largest team we've deployed over a period of five years was 14 people uh, at its peak. Uh, but typical teams are anywhere between six to eight people, where the Sattva team then works within uh, the organization, anchoring some critical responsibilities. Yeah. But that's the typical size that we have, Steve. Okay. All right. Well, let's let's talk about the current state before we start getting to the future state. What is the current state of nonprofits? How are nonprofits in general uh, working uh, in in their strategic direction and their and their operations? What what is the current state? Yeah. If you think about it as to where we are today, it's a very, very interesting time to be a nonprofit organization. I say this for India uh, for specific context, but I'm going to then generalize that across the global south, which is the environment that I know very well. Um, It's an interesting time because, A, there is growing acknowledgement on the role of nonprofit organizations in solving large-scale issues that uh, require attention for us to grow as a nation in India, you know. Uh, organizations today form collaborations with governments at scale. Uh, they're working with market players, corporates uh, on solving problems on a wide range of issues. And they are attracting young talent, which is uh, helping them uh, you know, think about innovative and newer ways of working on things. That's, that's one. Right? Uh, the second, uh, there is a massive inflection due to technology. Uh, technology as social media is enabling them to connect with a wide range of people. Uh, Social media uh, technology in the forms of tools and platforms gives them efficiency that they can achieve. Uh, And technology also gives them observability, uh, create data at scale that they could use as well, which is another tailwind that nonprofits can leverage. Uh, The third is that in most global South countries, there is an amalgamation of global philanthropy playing a very active role in cross-pollinating good practices. But in addition to that, there is an emerging domestic philanthropy throughout Asia and parts of Africa as well, which is looking at how can they be part of the social change process, which is an interesting uh, sort of trend. And finally, there are ways in which uh, key trends like climate change, gender, youth empowerment are becoming issues uh, behind which a lot of stakeholders can rally around, which actually gives them opportunities to solve difficult and intractable problems. These are all positives. But when you look at the way nonprofits engage on all of these issues today, a lot of the nonprofits do not actually benefit from all of these tailwinds. Partly because, A, there is a thinking of doing and solving problems by themselves. Uh, And partnerships and collaboration, while highlighted in every conference, is actually still very, very difficult to implement on the ground. So typically, the impact that nonprofits reach are linear impact, which is how far can my organization scale so that I can get to a certain point, number one. Number two, uh, the people who understand the problem on the ground and people who understand technology are still not able to talk to each other. So while the promise of technology is real, it doesn't often translate to fantastic programs that they can scale because there is still the Tower of Babel issue where multiple people who know different parts of the problem are still unable to talk to each other. 
you know that's the second issue the third issue is thinking through data and how data can enable them to scale is still a skill and a capability that most nonprofits are unable to leverage and that's understandable uh, because people who have that skill are often outside the social impact ecosystem and how do we do that right and lastly relationships with donors continues to be a grant based model where there is a discussion over a check rather than discussions over capabilities you know increasingly uh, companies and governments and nonprofits can actually pool capabilities to solve problems together however the conversation still is about financial support from the donor and the implementation support from a nonprofit which actually does not actually leverage the best strengths of the both sides and that is in some sense where we are where problems are running faster than solutions and despite tailwinds the ways nonprofits work have been adapted to the opportunities that are ahead of All right, so when we talk about the future state, are we talking about five years out, 10 years out, 20 years out? When we start talking about the future, how long out are we looking at? Yeah, I mean, as cliched as it may sound, Stephen, the future is here already. You know, a lot of what we are talking about as the future is actually playing out as trends as we see it. And I'm happy to talk about whatever I'm saying right now, playing out in tangible ways. but what we are saying why the reason we are saying how nonprofits are be prepared for the future is there are going to be nonprofits that choose to be small and might not want to do a large scale a large impact work and which is fair because we, i think we need nonprofits of all types and there are going to be organizations that are going to focus more on the heart and say here is the cause i care about the neighborhood that i care about and i want to work here which is fantastic but there are going to be these organizations that are going to come in and say can i look at global scale can i achieve population scale impact in the work that i do and typically these organizations are going to be going through a five year journey before they get to that point you know and the the reason we are saying how do you be prepared for the future is because as you look at your strategy today how can you take a five year view and plan for how you can leverage all of these trends rather than responding to what is currently the reality that you perceive and at five years later your strategy is already outdated yeah so the answer is that the future is here but the reason we call we we make the point about how nonprofits have to be ready for the future is because it takes them 5 years to adapt to the future that is already here do you find that uh nonprofit organizations do a good job of strategic oh, well Let's start off by saying do they strategically plan? And let, let's talk about you know most of our listeners right now are small nonprofits and they're $5 million dollars in uh, yearly revenue. So are do you find that uh nonprofits that are smaller under like $10 million dollars in revenue do a good job of strategic planning? Uh let's start with the first question that you had. Do they do strategic planning? That's yes. The answer is yes they do. uh maybe not consistently not all of them but uh, a large number of them and increasingly so now recognize the idea to say hey here's a three year plan uh do they do strategic planning well um maybe not and the reason for that is simple you know uh you've been in the mainstream business uh, steven and i don't think we are trying to recreate ways of working in business every day you know uh the traditional approach in business is to build on what has been done already so that the next version is always better than the previous however if you look at a nonprofit space there's almost very limited literature around how to do things well so which means that the 1001st nonprofit organization is not doing a better process of strategic planning than the organization that did this for the thousandth time 
And the lack of an established planning approach and the strategic framework for nonprofits, I think, impedes their quality of strategic planning. So almost always, if you look at ask a leader of a nonprofit organization whether they have a good strategic plan, they find it hard to answer that question saying, do I have I checked all the boxes? Because there is often a lack of clarity on what are the boxes it's supposed to check, you know. And so to your question, yes, the increasing numbers of organizations are doing strategic plans, but the lack of a science or a framework <coughs> to be able to do that effectively, I think limits the quality of these strategic plans because there's a lack of accepted benchmarks on what makes a good strategy. Yeah, well, you know, I don't care if it's business or a nonprofit, it all comes down to execution, right? I mean, you can't just keep strategically planning and strategically planning and strategically planning if you're not executing what you're planning, right? So, uh, you know, you, you plan and then you execute and then you reevaluate and then you plan and then you execute again. And it's, it's really not that complicated. And I'm not saying that businesses do a good job with it either, um, but it, I certainly would say, and would you agree that the larger you get as an organization, the, the, I, I don't know if it's the chicken or the egg. I, you know, do you get bigger because you strategically planned well, or do you, uh, uh, do you get big uh, because you, and then you put together a plan? My, in my opinion is, the best organizations I've ever seen are the ones that plan, strategically plan, and then they execute and not the reverse. So, uh, I mean, let's face it, especially with nonprofits, their, their resources just feel like they're so much more finite than, um, than a, a, a business. You got to make a lot, you got to make sure you do a lot with, with the money you have. Would you agree with that? Yeah, Absolutely. And show and show proof. So when when someone brings you on board as a consulting, what is usually their thought process? Yeah. So let me uh, sit back and answer, make a few comments on the points you already made, and then build on uh, because that sort of leads me to my answer as well. Uh, is there a direct correlation between the quality of strategic planning and the size of the organization? There is not. Uh. Right. Uh, large organizations make terrible plans too. Uh, and small organizations sometimes make really good plans. And partly it's a function of small organizations having a much better understanding of who they serve and the feedback loops being shorter. Large organizations sometimes lose their footing in terms of, uh, you know, what do they really stand for? But that sort of brings me to the question of why and when do organizations call us? We've often seen that there are four reasons why organizations call us, uh, you know, as part of the work we do. One is there is a change of leadership. There's a new leader who's come in. They want to reimagine uh, and take, get a fresh perspective of what this organization can be. And that's one time where Sattva gets called and said, hey, listen, can you sort of look at it and uh, tell us where we have to go? The second part is where an organization knows it's hit an inflection point, you know, there is that time in every nonprofit organization when they know that what they're doing right now is working. Uh, they've got this new opportunity to work, let's say, with a large donor or with the with the government, and they know that they're going to go through a non-linear scale journey, which is where they're probably going to go three times the size, ten times the size, and they want to uh, sort of reimagine their work in the context of the scale that they're going to hit, 
And this is actually very, very common over the last few years that we are seeing where organizations reach an inflection point and say, hey, listen, I need to reimagine how I think about my work. And it's very hard for them to unlearn what they do today to sort of hit that point. The third uh, use case is where a large organization, and this comes back to what I said earlier, recognizes that it becomes, it's become irrelevant. They've been around for 60 years, but the environment outside has changed so much that they don't believe they're still relevant in the current ecosystem or where they recognize that there are some critical trends that have changed the way they are working. You know, it could be where in India, for instance, uh, lots of organizations worked on ensuring every child has education. Today, 97% of Indian kids are in school, but the quality of education is poor. So how do these organizations imagine their work? Because the context they worked for has actually changed significantly, right? That's the third part of the work that uh, we've seen. And the last part of the work is where typically a donor comes in, recognizes that the organization has unrealized potential and brings us in to help the organization think through what it could be, where the demand is not generated internally, but it's outside, yeah? If you look at this, uh, Stephen, uh, we've recognized that uh, sometimes with large organizations, the idea of getting caught in their own internal narrative can be very high, which essentially means that their ability to create a good strategic plan is missing. And sometimes with small organizations, they have limited understanding of their constraints. They often make large plans that may not, uh, you know, uh, sort of work within the constraints of resources that they have. Uh, so it's, it, there's no direct correlation between size and quality of planning. Uh, but these are the four reasons why we get called uh, today in nonprofit uh, organizations. I hope that helped. Yeah, I mean, who who is a good person to make sure that the strategic plan is being implemented? Um, I think it's not as much a person because if an answer to a problem is a person, that often means that the solution is wrong, right? But what are the critical things that we need to do to make a strategic plan implement, get implemented? I think number one, as a consultant, it's extremely critical to make sure that there is ownership from the leadership on the plan that you're making. In the early days of Sattva, we used to make fantastic plans. We were so proud of it. And it's literally in the last week of our engagement that we hand over the plan to the head of the organization. And they will not even be able to coherently explain that to anyone. So what we do today is around halfway through the engagement, we say, hey, here's the frame of the strategy explain it to the board, explain it to the organization. So they start saying that in their own words. And that is extremely helpful. And that's the first thing that we need to do to make sure that execution happens, which is where the CEO owns up to the plan and does not call it the consultant's plan. That's number one. The second is, I always say, the most important day in a strategic planning exercise is the day after the strategic planning is done, which is, do you know what you do tomorrow? You know, not three years later, not five years later. Tomorrow, do you know what you have to do? So one of the things that we build at Satpa is actually a one-year plan that helps organizations know exactly what do we have to do every month of every year, I mean, every month of the first year, and are there measurable goals that, we, that tells us that this is helpful. And we typically hand it to the board and tell them that this is your compass to make sure that the plan is actually getting implemented. You know, that's the second part. The third part is we often include a board sponsor who's a non-executive person in the planning exercise because the non-executive person serves as a conscience to be able to look at it from the outside and say, hey, is this plan actually getting implemented? And it's too late to bring them in after the strategy is complete. They have to buy into the plan when the strategy is being done. That's the third part. And the last one is really um, make the assumptions behind a plan very, very clear. We did a plan for an organization in December 2019, April 2020, we had COVID. Uh, so how do you then execute the plan? You know, So calling out the assumptions behind the plan helps the CEO then understand what is changing and how do I adapt the strategy based on that uh, changes. 
Um, are you usually, are you also at times, they said, okay, you know, you worked with us building the strategic plan. I want, we want you to make sure we execute it now. Absolutely. Yeah. We, uh, you know, nine times out of 10, uh, this comes up saying, hey, how can you help us? And we often tell organizations that we can do three things. A, we can be a conscience. So every quarter we go back to the nonprofit organizations and conduct a full day review to say, is what we are doing effective? Uh, what is, is the strategy that we recommended effective? What chose course corrections have to be done? But it's also a way for them to reflect on what did we plan versus what did we do? That's something that we do. Uh, in certain cases, people recognize it's not the conscience they need, it's capability. So we actually embed a person for the first six months or a year into the project, who, who into the organization, who can then complement their capabilities with capabilities that we bring to the table. Yeah. Uh, typically, it's things around data. It's around monitoring and evaluation because they might not have the talent they need. It takes time to hire. But then if you wait for the person to hire, you've lost a year of your strategy. So Satwa sort of embeds the person to... Uh, cover the comp uh, capability gaps. The third approach we call is the big bet approach, because in most strategies, there's that one big bet that you're taking, you know, and that if works can make the organization move, move to the next scale, we actually create an embedded team that works on the big bet together for the next two to three years. That way, the biggest and the most critical part of the strategy gets executed. So all of these three models work. In cases where we do none of these, we continue to stay friends with the organization, unlock networks for them, enable funding for them, because it's often the access to funding that limits them to not implement a strategy as well. Uh, so let's let's talk a little bit more about the future-ready nonprofit. Okay, uh, I know we alluded to some of the key concepts, but let's let's talk about what is the future-ready nonprofit. Yeah. So, uh, Stephen, what we are seeing uh, with our work uh, with um, you know nonprofit organizations is that a future-ready nonprofit organizations has five critical components that it establishes so that it is able to achieve scale, impact, and sustainability. Yeah, uh, we see at the core of a nonprofit three critical engines that have to power the nonprofit. We call it, and I'll explain this in a little bit, uh, the engine of innovation the engine of scale, and the engine of sustainability. Yeah. The engine of innovation builds core intellectual property or that intervention or program that the organization believes is going to create large-scale impact. The engine of scale finds a way to scale that impact without scaling the organization necessarily. Engine of sustainability ensures that they're able to get the networks, the resources, and the funding to make the organization work well. And these three have to be thought through very, very clearly. These three engines are sort of sandwiched between two layers. The one layer is on governance and leadership that you build on the top, which ensures that the organization is mission aligned. And the bottom layer is the delivery excellence layer, which ensures that compliance, reporting, and all of the other hygiene factors are taken care of. You know, And for us, as we go to every organization, the question we ask, ask the organization is which of these are already in place and which of them have to be created. And tying it back to some of the things I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, the engine of innovation typically should be backed by evidence and data. Do you actually know and have data to show that what you are doing actually works? Number one, it should ideally be backed by some form of technology so that it's codified and replicable and it's something that can actually be managed at scale. 
and it should be done in a manner where there is clarity on where other partners have to come in and that's really what happens in an engine of scale in engine of uh, engine of innovation in engine of scale we see the following four approaches that are necessary and some of the organizations pick one of one or more of these approaches a are you going to scale through a network where you actually build a network of organizations and partnerships and scale your work through them b are you going to scale through government are you going to work with government and make government accept your ideas and programs and policies etc which we see a lot of in india and the global south c are you going to work through uh, knowledge which is you're going to codify all of the material that you have make that available for other organizations to adopt where impact is actually gained through knowledge or four are you going to linearly scale which is are you going to become a large organization that's everywhere and for different types of organizations different scale strategies actually work well on engine of sustainability the core rule that we have is that social capital is a precursor to financial capital almost all organizations suffer uh, you know and struggle with fundraising what we tell them is don't worry about raising money worry about building social capital do you know right people you know are you building friends of your organization do you have enough people who care about you they can be you know people on your board they can be volunteers you're working with they can be people in corporates that you know well they can be government stakeholders they could be just a friends of the organization an informal network and what we've recognized consistently is that organizations that are good at building social capital almost always find a way to get financial capital is social the- capital uh, is that a uh, a term that's used often i never heard that term before yeah we use it a lot in india and i use that a lot in my conversations with people which is and i i often tell this to the board saying every quarter every year can you actually measure the social capital of this organization which is identify the people that you know identify the people and how good your relationship is with them ask yourself are you growing the number of relationships you have in as an organization like is your volunteer base increasing is your friend network increasing is the number of influencers that you know increasing are you getting new people on the board number one which is quantity two is your relationship with each of these groups actually improving are you more tightly knit are they becoming ambassadors for your organization and when you do that and after after that you, you know they and with critical stakeholders and you know the steven people leverage themselves people will often come in and say how can i help you right and they find the way to do that and often times if you nudge them a little bit they offer you the resources that you need either as capability or as cash uh but that building that very very consistently is what we call the engine of sustainability uh the bottom half i talked about is delivery excellence uh, you know the compliance norms uh, in india for sure is uh, you know becoming rigorous and we think it's just a precursor to what you see in the rest of the globe uh, where there are going to be more questions asked on compliance on your uh, you know annual reports being kosher your financial statements being right and a lot of organizations struggle in getting this right because they don't think it is their job to do this because they believe they are in the business of service but we've realized that most often this is where the organizations actually fail because they can't get that big grant because their financial systems are not in order so how do you build delivery excellence effectively and finally we think that the role of the board and the leadership is paramount in ensuring that mission orientation is always achieved so for us if you can do this you know if you can set yourself up where you leverage technology data and codification to build your engine of innovation where you leverage partnerships systems change and government approaches collaborations in building an engine of sustain- scale if you can look at building a social capital for engine of sustainability 
build a very strong delivery in an excellence approach for your compliance and finance and other norms and have an excellent board that supports you with mission orientation, I think there's a good chance that you build for the future. Oh, it's so simple. <laughs> uh, so, wait, uh, you know, you, you've given us such great information today. I, I you know, it's, I, I think, you know, if any of our listeners are saying, oh my God, I, I think just don't get overwhelmed. I think you need to pick one or two things and really execute it well. But uh, do you, do you, you, have you written a book about this stuff yet? Not yet. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely book material. You know, uh, there's a, there's a lot here, especially the way you lay it out. What about on your website? Do you, do you have uh, white papers or other uh, things that you have that, that our listeners can kind of go to and, and kind of pick through in greater detail what you're talking about, or at least see the framework you're talking about? Absolutely. So we are actually, I mean, your listeners are one of the first people to listen to this framework, uh, Stephen. So we are actually putting together a white paper, which will be released by October. Uh, and what they could do is to just write to us at impact at sattva.co.in. I can send you the email address. You can add it to your... Uh, email. Well, let's spell it. Why don't you spell it all uh, uh, so that they have it? I-M-P-A-C-T, impact, at S-A-T-T-V-A, sattva, which is the name of my organization, dot C-E-O dot I-N. Yeah? I'm going to repeat it again. It's impact, I-M-P-A-C-T, yep. at S-A-T-T-V-A, sattva, dot C-O dot I-N, co dot in. Yeah. If they could write to us, as soon as the white paper is ready, we're going to publish it to them as well. Yeah. Um, or uh, or by the time it gets released, it's probably going to be, let's say it's the 20, yeah, it'll be October when this is released uh, of 2022. So we, uh, it'll, uh, will be up on your website as well. It will be. And the website is www.sattva, sattva again, .co.in. Yeah. So it's S-A-T-T-V-A dot C-O dot I-N. So, uh, you know, that's a really great conversation. It's really kind of all the time we have today. Uh, you know, I'd really like to thank uh, Rathish uh, Balakrishnan f- uh, for coming on today's podcast. Uh, you know, uh, again, uh, Rathish is from Sattva, S-A-T-T-V-A, Media and Consulting. Um, and if you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. And if you like today's podcast, please also give us a review or any of the other podcasts. The, uh, those reviews really help us get the word out. I mean, the Nonprofit MD Podcast, this is in the top 5% now of all podcasts in our space. Um, and we're proud of that. And it's those reviews that really help us get the word out. And of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your nonprofit, you can call us at 862-207-4118. Uh, we only work in the United States, just for our listeners to know, uh, or visit our website at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. And uh, Rathish, uh, if anyone gets in touch with you again, how would they go about doing that? The same email addresses and the same website. Great. So, uh, you know, I say this at the end of every podcast, I want to thank all our listeners from around the world uh, for uh, making the world a better place. Uh, you guys are out there always, always on a day-to-day basis trying to make the world a better place. I thank you for that. I know that both Rathish and I both have our role to play too. And every day, the, just the little things we do make a big difference, like uh, giving blood, like 
being kind to others. But you guys, our listeners, are out there making a big impact. It's your job, and I thank you for that. Uh, other than that, uh, I want to thank you all for listening for today on the Nonprofit MBA Podcast. And please have a great day. Remember, you're only as good to your family and your nonprofit as the way you take care of yourself. So take good care of yourself.